in this bright church, uh, I can see many of you with a, a kind of mosaic halo behind your heads as the sun shines on you. Um, I did say to, to Mark that um, I'd listened to the podcast two weeks ago and got some thoughts. Uh, so we're both having a bit of an argument as to where the truth comes. I'd love to just have a prayer and then uh, share some things with you. Father, again, we thank you that where two or three are gathered in your name, you're there in the midst. And we know, Father, when your son spoke, he spoke words of life. And we ask that these words <coughs> may not just be a looking back in history, but a word that speaks life into our hearts and speaks of change, that we can be part of it. And so we ask, what we know not, you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us. What we have not, you would give us. For the glory of your name. Amen. <coughs> I don't know whether um, any of you saw the royal wedding. Uh, if you did, just... Uh, Put your hand up. So quite a number uh, saw it. And you'll remember these words that Richard Chartres spoke in that really, I think, tremendous sermon he gave. But he said the words of St. Catherine of Siena, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. And I, I believe there is something prophetic about that and in a sense, I want to speak that over you, every one of you. Be who God meant you to be, and you'll set the world on fire. You'll change uh, people and things around you. <clears throat> so I was hugely struck by that, but I was asking myself a, a question, and it's this, do you really know who God meant you to be? Do you really know who God meant you to be, or are you still searching to find and discover that? Uh, I have an identical twin brother uh, called David. He says he's half an hour older than I am, and I won't dispute it. But uh, David and I uh, have grown up together, and we've often been mistaken for each other. And sometimes when people find it hard <coughs> uh, to know which to call us, they would just say twin. <clears throat> but actually it took us an awful long time to discover that we were very different, that we have different gifts and abilities. We were so constantly compared to one another that we lost sight of who we really are. And it's, it's about that that I want to talk <clears throat> this evening. I was thinking about these words of Catherine of Siena, and uh, I, I was thinking, well, who can I find that's an example in Scripture of someone who Jesus saw, he saw what they were meant to be, and he brought them into that discovery. It's almost as though he made them come alive. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said that the glory of God is to be man or woman who's fully alive who's really discovered what's inside them and what it is they have to give. 
Uh, many of you will most likely have seen many years back that wonderful film, Chariots of Fire. Well, my three sons, Tim, Peter and Stephen, loved that film. And I remember we saw it 10 or 12 times. And, you know, they had the action of the runners perfectly. Uh, but I always remember that line of Eric Liddell, uh, you know, who didn't run on a Sunday because of his Christian faith. And um, he, he was saying to his sister these words, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. And it's almost as though when you're discovering what God's put inside you and you're running with that, you really come alive. And you know, it's my real prayer uh, <clears throat> that each one of us will discover what it is that God meant us to be. Now, the woman at the well came uh, to my mind as I was thinking of an example of this because Jesus saw this woman in a very different way to all her other compatriots. Uh, Jesus saw her with tremendous potential, which wasn't being realized at the moment because she was drinking from the wrong well. And the story illustrates to me two things. One, that Jesus was never tied. Uh, he was never predictable. He was always able to, to think outside the box and to live outside the box. And the, the other was that Jesus saw people uh, with, a, with a real heart of compassion. Uh, there was a tremendous sense of love in his heart. And when I read this story, I just sense that I catch something of the heart of Jesus in the way that he reached out to this woman and brought about change. Now, the first thing I just want to fill you in on is just a, a little bit about the background to this story. Jesus had been ministering near Jerusalem and in Judea, and his reputation was really noised abroad. <clears throat> and uh, word was out on the streets that he was a greater than John the Baptist. He was baptizing more converts than John the Baptist, although John says it was his disciples who were baptizing. Now, Jesus wasn't in or out for publicity, so when he hears this, he wants to leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee, his home area. <clears throat> and in fact, John says quite clearly that he went through Samaria. Now, I just want to highlight something that when Jesus sent the 12 on a mission in Matthew 10, verse 5, he gave them these instructions. He said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus was saying to them, your mission target is the Jewish people. I don't want you to touch any race outside the Jewish people. Uh, so I think it would have been a surprise that Jesus actually was going back to his home country, not by going uh, west and then, no, going east and across the Jordan, but he chose to go through Samaria. 
Now, there had become a, a, a division between the Jews and the Samaritans following King Solomon's reign. And the Jews thought the Samaritans were unclean, so they wouldn't touch them and they wouldn't go through their country because uh, they didn't want to be infected by these people. But Jesus chose to go through and he, he comes to a well which was Jacob's well. Now the Jews and the Samaritans go back to the patriarchs and therefore Jacob's well was in their country and that was a special place for them. And I just want to highlight that you know wells were tremendously significant uh, to life in those days. Cities or communities were built around wells. Abraham dug a well. Isaac dug a well. Jacob dug a well. Because you needed water to feed your, or to give water to your flock and also for your own survival. Now, if you were threatened by the enemy or an enemy wanted to overcome you as a people, one of the first things they would do was to fill in the well, to, to cut off your water supply. So Jesus comes to this well at Sychar, a little village, or it's sometimes called Shechem, and his disciples go off into this village to get some resources, and he sits by the well. He's tired. He's been involved in tremendous ministry. He's had a long walk, and he just needs a rest. Now, I'm asking the question, uh, why did Jesus stop there? Or why did Jesus go through the Samaritan country? Because he'd given that ruling to his disciples before. I believe two things. One is that I sense that Jesus had a prophetic nudge, uh, a sense that God was saying, um, I want you to do something different. And actually, um, God often does want to speak to us by giving us little nudges or a little sense in our hearts, do this. I remember uh, when I was a curate uh, where, where Mark was brought up <coughs> uh, in Chorley Wood. Uh, I was going uh, to visit some people and I just sensed uh, that I should visit a place called Wick Cottage. Uh, there was an old lady there and uh, I had her on my list but I, I, I had her later on in the afternoon, and I just sensed I needed to go and see that lady. And uh, I knocked on the door, but I noticed the door was open. And, and I pushed in the door, and straight ahead were the stairs. And there was this lady of 80-something holding on for dear life to the banisters. She had fallen from the top step. And I rushed up and actually carried her, back upstairs. But, you know, I could, have, I could have ignored that little nudge. And I think uh, it might have been catastrophic for her. What was uh, a little rider to that was that actually they bought that little house for me as a curate because she died. Not, not after, straight after I'd, <laughs> I'd done that. I, I wasn't in the property market. Um, but, but I just remember that as a little nudge. And I just want to say to you, you know, God speaks to us sometimes through little nudges or dreams. Uh, they're, they're so often there in the Bible. And uh, sometimes the difference between someone who is moving with the Holy Spirit 
is that they've acted on the little nudge rather than thought, I'm making this up. So if you sometimes sense God giving you a little nudge to phone someone or to write a letter to someone, act on it. And you know, I, I assure you, that prophetic gift will grow in you. Uh, so I think he had that little nudge. I don't think God told him the whole story. I think he picked that up as he actually engaged with this woman. And then secondly, uh, he was tired, he sat down, but he was sitting down by water. And you know, I think that Jesus was just reflecting and meditating because the story that came out that he told this woman about was living water. And I think he had been thinking about water, reflecting, meditating on it. Now I just want to draw some points out from the passage. Uh, firstly, a Samaritan woman comes to this well and uh, she comes uh, in midday. Now midday was not the time you went to well, wells to get water. You would go early in the morning or in the cool of the evening. Now if you went at midday, you were actually hiding something. This woman was obviously not in relationship with her community. She was persona non grata. And therefore, she was alienated, she was isolated, and she went then when nobody was there. And I think Jesus would have sensed there's something that's out of sync here. And uh, <clears throat> uh, she didn't obviously have good relationships with her community, because you know the story, she had five husbands already and was living with another man. So I don't think any woman felt really safe in that village. Uh, and I don't think anyone would like to talk to her. And so Jesus meets this woman and asks her, please will you give me a drink? And uh, the woman is surprised because it's not common for a Jew to speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan. And uh, she, they get into a conversation uh, about water uh, and uh, Jesus says about this well, everyone who drinks uh, of the water here will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up it into eternal life. And you know, this woman's thirst is awakened. That's what she wants. She knows what it is like to be running out of energy, to be disillusioned. And the thought of having something that will really satisfy her from deep within is a real longing of her. And so she says, Sir, give me of this water that I may never have to come to this world to drink again. And Jesus said then uh, some rather remarkable words. He just said to her, go and fetch your husband. And uh, she, she pauses for a moment and says, I have no husband. Now, in the way Jesus answers this woman, I see something of the compassion and the love of God. You know, if it were the Pharisees, they would say, you're a right hypocrite. You don't deserve to, to be... Uh, uh, 
amongst the God's people. But actually, Jesus doesn't say that at all. He says, you're right. You're telling the truth. I like that. You're telling the truth. But actually, you've had five husbands, and the one you're now living with is not your husband. Now, why did he, he say that? Well, I think he wanted to actually engage with that woman at the deepest level, because she was going to another world to, to drink, the well of sexuality. She was trying to find where, where was the perfect man that would satisfy her. And that was something beyond what any man could do. And so Jesus says, if you're going to have this living water, then you've got to put something that's out of sync right. You've got to deal with an issue where you're drinking from the wrong stream. But he recognizes a deep hunger and thirst in her. And you know, there are many people in, in our world today, in our society, in the church, who actually are drinking from the wrong well. The well of sexuality, the, the well of materialism, the well of ambition, the well of drugs, the well of, um, uh, of celebrity. We're looking for something that will give us identity. And actually Jesus says, the person you really are is the identity I want you to discover. You know, it's interesting, all of us are worshippers. And the Greek word for worshipper is anthropos, which literally means the uplooker, the one who looks up. And, and if you don't, in a sense, look up to God, then you will worship what's created rather than the creator. And you'll get things in a twist. And, and that's what this woman had done. And that's the story from the Garden of Eden onwards, where God gave man and woman tremendous privilege and liberty, uh, but said, don't eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And man disobeyed that word, was tempted and disobeyed. And for, for man's safety and future, God actually excluded them from that garden. But nevertheless, there was always a, a longing and a sense of home that is in every one of us. Uh, and that is innately in all of us. Uh, we may have lost that sense, but that's what God wants to give all of us, so that we find our identity, not in what we do or what we achieve, but in who we are. And, and this, is, this is what this woman is about to discover. You see, what I see about Jesus, that he saw the person that she could become. And because he saw that, he drew her in to that discovery there's a wonderful um, scripture in Jonah 2, 8, which just says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I find that an incredible uh, statement. Those who are pursuing something that actually can't really satisfy almost shut their face towards the grace that could be theirs. And that's where this woman was. 
And Jesus, in his love for her and in his mercy, opened her eyes to see the grace that could be hers. And uh, he treated her with such dignity. Uh, and uh, the woman says, well, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers uh, worship on this mountain, the Jews on another, but when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all about it. And then, in a very, I think, soft voice, Jesus said, I who am speaking to you am he. You know, he never revealed himself in that kind of way. This is one of the only occasions where he revealed himself, and it was to a Gentile. I, I would love to know what else they talked about. John says, only this, um, but I believe they might have talked further. And then the woman, because something was burning inside her, this living water bubbling up just goes back to the village. Because if she's going to drink of this well, she needs to put things right. It's what's called repentance. You see, we don't have God on our terms. Sometimes we have to put things right. And then we, we receive the grace that could be ours. And I just want to draw four things from this story as I draw to a close. Um, and it's this, what does this story say to us as individuals and perhaps to us as a church that's set in this community for a God-given purpose? What does it say? Well, as I've reflected on this, it says to me that our attitude, the way we see people, needs to change. We often see on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And uh, Jesus saw in this woman a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that needed redirecting. He saw her as God meant her to be. I think we need to see people as God means them to be. Sometimes churches put a burden on people so that they feel they're not worthy even to come into the place. And I think if we're going to really draw people to Christ, what is crucial is the way we look at people and see them. I <clears throat> remember uh, I, uh, in one of the churches I served, uh, I often talked with a chap called Terry, a dustman. And Terry used to come just to the children's service. And I knew very often that he was immensely moved by it. And, uh, but, you know, he never, he never made a decision. He never clinched the deal. And when I was over in America uh, some years ago, um, I, I had a, it was at John Wimber's church, but I had uh, an amazing experience because I was going there because I just wanted to know God's power that I may serve him more effectively. And, uh, you know, sometimes we ask God to meet us in the way we want. And he doesn't always do that. And I saw a number of people like John Coles and um, John Mumford and others just under the power of God's Spirit. Uh, I didn't have that at all. I just found that I was crying. 
Uh, and as a boy, I didn't cry that I remember till the age of 32. And that was really because uh, I had been separated a lot from parents and family, and uh, I'd swallowed any hurt that I had encountered. And uh, in this church, every time they worshipped, I would find the tear ducts would open. And they, they prayed in an infuriating way. They came and said, more Lord, more Lord. And you know, for three weeks I was in tears. And I remember asking God about this and saying, Lord, what is it? What is it you're doing? And a verse from the Gospel of Matthew came to me where he said to the daughters of Jerusalem, weep for yourselves and for your children. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And I just sensed that God was saying, John, I'm dealing with some of the issues of childhood and teenage years. I'm dealing with some of the hurts of ministry. It's all right for you to let those go. And I felt an incredible sense of God's compassion. And then it moved from there because the text said, weep for yourselves and your children. And uh, I, felt, I felt God brought to my heart three people over a period of two weeks. And I just prayed for them and wept for them. And when I came back uh, to High Wycombe, uh, the doorbell went when I was having a PCC meeting. And Annie went uh, to the door because she wasn't on the PCC, so she answered the door. And this chap, Terry, the dustman, just said to Annie in a very urgent way, I've got to see John. I've got to see John. And uh, she said, well, I'm afraid he's in a PCC. Uh, and, and he said quite straight, Annie, I won't take no for an answer. And Annie came in and got me out and I went to the door and said, Terry, how wonderful to see you. And he just hugged me and said, John, I've become a Christian. And uh, I said, how was that? He said, well, in the Billy Graham relay from Aston Villa ground, uh, I was in the Baptist church in High Wycombe and I heard Billy Graham proclaim the gospel. I've heard it many times, but something inside me changed. And when he said, if you want to come out of your seat, I ran from the back. I was the first one there. And he said, you know, John, I'm just amazed. I just feel I've been cleaned out from the inside out. And I, I'm so happy. And I said to him, Terry, we're talking inside about evangelism. Would you come and tell your story? So he came inside to the PCC and told them that story. And he, as he told it, he started to weep. And he said, I don't know why I'm weeping, I'm so happy. But I, I actually thought, God, sometimes you unlock a person because of your compassion. Let me have compassion for people that may unlock the door of their hearts. And I recognize that some weeping and prayers that took place 8,000 miles away were actually winging their way to somewhere in the UK. And there were two other people, there were two <coughs> other people that I, I wept for. I can't tell you their story, it would take too long. But actually they were utterly transformed uh, 
you know, in, in a conversation with them. Uh, so I just realized that actually, you know, Jesus saw someone as she was meant to be. There's a lovely quote which I love from Johann Goethe, who's uh, um, a German philosopher, and, and he said this. I want you to listen carefully because this is incredible wisdom. He said, when we treat a man as he is, we make him worse than he is. When we treat him as if he really is already what he could potentially be, we make him what he should be. And you see, Jesus saw that woman potentially as she could be, and she was drawn to it. You know, I think that's so important, the way we see people. And just a, another story of, of someone very much more recently, last year and a half ago, because I left uh, Harborne about a year ago. But this chap was a drug addict, and, and he came by the church a number of times, but he heard the worship and the singing. And he came into the vestibule part, it wasn't the church, it was the outer part. And he just listened to the singing. And one of my colleagues, James, was at the back and he just noticed this man come there, just standing, listening. And he went out just to chat to him and asked him what, what, what he was there, what he was doing. And the chap said, well, I've never heard singing like that. I felt something was happening which I didn't know what it was. And James said, look, you're so welcome to come, but uh, if you come along next week, I'll look out for you. And he came along next week, but wouldn't come inside. And James was talking with him. And that happened for three or four weeks. And then James said, well, why don't you sit right at the back with me? And if we need to, we can slip out. And he sat through the service and tears started to fall from his face. And uh, he encountered Christ. And, and that drug addiction was broken as people prayed for him. He is now uh, church planted. He's become a pastor. He has no real education, but he loves the word of God. And you know, I was so challenged by him the other day when he talked with me. He said he's, he's actually learning the word of God by rote, by heart, because he believes there may be a day when we don't have access to it, and he wants still to be able to preach. You know, there are people out there that if we see them with the right heart attitude, we may be able to facilitate the hunger in their heart and lead them to that living water. So our attitude needs to change. These two are shorter. Jesus saw a harvest field waiting to be reaped in verse 35. You know, the woman went away profoundly touched. She talked in that community about what had happened. And I guess that they could see a transformation. And most likely we're asking her, what's up, what's happened? And she told him about this man who told her all that she had ever done. And they could see it. 
and they came with her out to that well to meet with Jesus. Uh, they'd seen the turnaround in her life and then uh, they hear and talk with Jesus and Jesus talks with them and they then say, look, we know uh, this is true, not because we've heard from this woman, but in our own hearts we believe that you are the Messiah. Would you come and stay with us? Now, now that's, the, that's thinking outside the box. Because actually this is one of the only occasions in the Gospel where the Gentiles came into the Kingdom. And, and it happened because of that way. I just want to uh, leave you with a story I heard just the other day. It was from the last century and it's in Scotland, in Edinburgh. And there was a very famous preacher in Edinburgh uh, called um, Pastor White, Alexander White. And he was a very significant preacher and lots of people would come to hear him. And this very shy man called Mr. Rigby, who had a small business and would go in on Saturday to do his business in Edinburgh, would stay at a downtown hotel. And he was very shy and he didn't feel he could talk to people about his faith. But he, he felt God saying, I want you uh, to invite people to the church that you go to. So on the Sunday morning after breakfast, he'd go downstairs to the lobby and he would ask people, would you like to come to church with me? A lot of people said no, but over the period of 30 years, he took a lot of people to that church. And then one day, after 30 years, he was taking someone to that church and he had the tremendous joy to lead that person to Christ because they were so touched by the preaching and he was so elated and excited because he never believed he would ever possibly be able to do that. And he said, who can I tell? And he thought, I'll go and tell the pastor. And he went to the pastor, knocked on the door after lunch and the pastor came out and he told him the story and the pastor said, thank you thank you so much for telling me that. You don't always hear what happens from what you give away. And then the pastor said to him, by the way, what's your name? And he said, my name's Mr. Rigby, Mr. Rigby. He said, would you wait there? And the pastor went into his study and brought a whole box full of cards and letters. And he said, Mr. Rigby, all of these people have written to me to say they found Christ because someone invited them to come to the church. They don't know his name, but you're that person. And Mr. Rigby was overwhelmed. And you know, we might be shy. We might feel that we can't always give a full explanation, but we can say to a friend, come with me and hear what this is all about whether it's an Alpha or whether it's a service here, you, you have an entree into people's lives that Mark and leaders at this church will never touch. And if you've been touched by Jesus, if you know that living water, if you're drinking from that well, that well overflow and you can impact and change people's lives. 
And I just feel the last thing I want to say is actually that this church is a well. There's been living water flowing in this church and into the community over many years. And God wants this to be a place where anyone can come, where Aaron can come, where Samantha can come, where Mary can come, who don't feel they're good enough to go to church. But because you and I see them as what they can become, they may well feel they'd love to come and hear this story which they can become part of. You are part of this wonderful story. Don't keep it to yourself. That woman said, come and see a man that told me all that I ever did. And a whole community came out and actually were changed. Let's pray.